welcome back to another episode of Behind the Future. I am your host, Maeve McCrossan. And I am the other host, Sarah Durbin. On this podcast, we discuss the history of absolutely everything from the smallest objects to the largest movements. And exactly why they're relevant to us today. Every week we have two stories. One of us discusses a small piece of history in a short and sweet nutshell, and the other delves into a chunky story, exploring a larger historical topic. Best of all, neither of us knows what topic the other will talk about. So if you liked history class in school, this is probably the podcast for you. But if you liked the two class clowns running commentary of those classes, then this is definitely the podcast for you. Welcome, Welcome to, Behind to Behind the Behind Future. The future. I, I try so hard not to sound like a prick during the intro. I'm like, no, don't animate too much, but don't animate at all. Because then like people will just instantly lose interest if we're just sounding dull. But then if you animate too much, people will be like, all right, all right. Who does she think she is? I remember specifically last week, I was like, I haven't put enough mustard on this. So I remember like the last line, I was like, welcome to the Like then was listening back to it today and I was like, oh my goodness. <laughs> my personality it. just came out all in that one sentence. Mayvan, do you have any shka for me? I got married in Stardew Valley. We're thinking of having a family. Oh, congrats. It's so, I just have to collect 150 hardwood. I already have the 10,000 gold. Is it gold or what, to get married? You have to do that? No, so we've gotten married already, but I needed oh, to sorry, upgrade Sam. my house to have Shane in the house at all, which I think is a little bit high maintenance. But now I just have to get a <laughs> nursery. So I have to bring Robin. I think uh. it's 50,000. Yeah, 50,000 like coins or money. And I have to give her 150 hardwood. Do you watch anyone on Twitch or anything like that? No, I, so I used to, well, I say I used to, I watched maybe like four or five of her streams. I used to watch Plumbella. She plays The Sims. I'm into very specific video games, but she plays The Sims. I really like her. I watch her on YouTube a lot, but there's something about the slowness, I guess, of streams that I just don't like. Like, why don't I just play it myself? I know that's a that's <laughs> appeal to other people, but I just don't like it. I'm like, well, why am I? Mm. Also, I hate when they sit there and talk to people. You know, they're like people in the chat. They're like, oh, <laughs> like what we're doing. Now. Thanks, Jamie. Thanks, Alex. Oh, I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, I don't yeah. Care. Would you, would you ever be up for doing a live podcast? I episode. Yeah. 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 Cool. We'll find that. Maybe we will. We'll put up another poll this week. (laughs) A few polls going up. So we could definitely do that. A live podcast episode. Although we talk a lot of shite as well. Like we, I edit out stuff because like, you know, like the bloopers get edited out. And, you know, if our houses were falling down or if our dogs started Barking, we'd have to just like sit there like and wait for it to pass while people watch us. Also, I'm not sure I'm ready for visual mediums yet. Do you think? <laughs> like, I, I like the idea. You'll be game. I know I have a face for radio, but... Well, I no, definitely I'm have beautiful. a face for radio. I wouldn't even beautiful. say I have a face for Stop radio. Stop it. You don't. Uh, I... I have a couple of updates of podcast, just general updates. We have a new logo, everyone. I'll be, I I threw it up there last week. 
everywhere. So hope you like it. It's still us. Nothing else has changed <laughs> except the logo and my design skills uh, a little bit. And so next week, everyone will be also taking another midterm break because it's midterm. Um, <laughs> we've decided to hop on the midterm break bandwagon because we are only two women and we have a very big podcast and we're doing a lot of new stuff. So we a very big podcast. It's not big at all. <laughs> it's just the, the workload. I mean, for two people, it's very big. I'm not like it's flexing so at all. Work. We it is a lot of work it's, it's a lot of work I like we both it. love it oh I love it trust me like we wouldn't if we didn't like it we wouldn't be doing it for this long yeah. but it is a lot of work so we're going to be taking some weeks that maybe coincide with midterms <laughs> that <laughs> that we can catch up on stuff and prepare because after our midterm we have our leaving search series that may have mentioned briefly in our last yeah. episode You'll have to wait till the end of this episode to hear the topics that we think are going to come up and the topics that we are going to be doing three episodes on in this series. And we'll have more information about it as well up on our socials next week. So let's get into the history. Love history. The history. Oh, you'd want to. You'd want a girl. I, I can't imagine you would like doing this if you didn't. Unless you just enjoy torturing yourself. Some people like that. Some people like doing that. And I'm not here to judge. So I'm going to talk about the haka, the history of the haka. The haka is a ceremonial dance for anyone who is unfamiliar with it and an ancestral ritual in Maori culture. The dance is performed with vigorous movements, stamping feet and rhythmic, loud vocal accompaniment. It can be performed by both men and women at several social functions throughout Maori culture, for example, to welcome distinguished guests, to acknowledge achievements and at funerals. The group of people performing the haka are known as the kappa haka, with kappa meaning row or rank and haka transcribed in several Polynesian languages as to be short legged or dance. The dance makes sense to me, but the short-legged, all right. How does it mean both? There are some words, like I study German and there are some words that have double meanings and you wouldn't want to mix some of them up. Oh, I need to disclaim before I continue. I apologize to everyone who will be offended by my mispronunciation of these <laughs> Maori words. Okay. They were hard. I looked up the pronunciation as best I can, but some of them are just really, really hard. So... We'll all have a laugh and some people will be offended and I do apologise in advance for that. The mythological story goes that the sun god Tama Nui Tera had two wives, one who was the essence of summer and the other winter. The summer maid Hina Raumati had a son called Tana Roar. On hot summer days, the Maori tribes considered, you know, the quivering appearance of the air when it's really, really hot. Yes. They considered this to be a sign that he was dancing for his mother. And this set the foundation for the haka, particularly like the trembling hand movement. That so that's kind beautiful. of the mythological story. Isn't it? So the physical origins of the haka come from war dances performed by Maori tribes. It was performed by warriors before a battle in order to intimidate the opposition. 
The war haka, known as the Peru Peru, is performed with facial contortions, like showing the whites of your eyes and sticking out your tongue. And they use like vigorous movements, like slapping their hands against their bodies and stomping their feet. And cries, grunts and chanted words accompany this dance as well. Like I remember learning about the haka when I was like 10 in like fourth class. And I do remember our teacher said specifically that it was to, um, like it was used in sp- in sport like before rugby matches specifically to intimidate the other players Mm -hmm. but I feel like now it's I mean from what you've said and also from just being alive and hearing about it I know that that's not the only (laughs) reason but is there a specific reason why they would do that with their faces other than to intimidate so there's actually different types of hackers and one of them is actually called the Nyeri they do kind of contortions and things like that it's a war Haka, and it's meant to psychologically motivate the warrior for battle. So mm. another reason, if they did that particular haka, that they do these contortions with their faces is to literally psych themselves up as well to prepare for battle. Other types of the haka include the tutu nyarahu, which involves jumping from side to side, and there's another one called the wakatu wewe which involves no jumping. There's no jumping side to side there. And some variations also include weapons they use. Very cool. When early European inquisitors arrived on the Polynesian islands in the early 19th century, they were horrified and shocked by the dancers' vigor and ferocity. The Christian missionaries attempted to eradicate the dance along with other elements of Maori culture which clashed with their beliefs and their customs. And leader of the Church Missionary Society, Henry Williams, at one point attempted to replace the haka with hymns. Of course they did. (laughs) I just thought that was funny, like hymns. Like now, now everyone settle down. Here's your hymnal. And obviously this didn't work. The dances maintained within Maori culture to, you know, today. The most worldwide renowned haka is Ke Mata, which was composed in circa 1820 by the Nigoti Toa tribal leader at the time. His name was Te Roporaha. This is the dance that we all know kind of if you generally see a haka now, particularly on rugby, this is ge- this is the most commonly used one. However, I when I was looking them up, I actually saw a lot of different variations. So this is mm. said to be the most common, though. So the story goes, he composed it when conflict arose between his tribe and neighboring tribes over previous instances and control over coastal resources. When seeking alliance with other tribes, Te Raparaha was hunted by a war party from a rival tribe. His allies told him to hide in a pit with his wife at the entrance, protecting him both physically and spiritually. Apparently having a woman there was <laughs> to, to, <laughs> to protect his spirit. Um, <laughs> and while the party closed in on the area, he hid in this pit. And he muttered to himself, Ke mate, ke mate, which means, will I die? Will I die? And ke ora, ke ora, will I live? Will I live? And they're lyrics in mm. the Kemata Haka. And 
eventually the war party left without finding him. So the lyrics throughout that, that hack out reflect that instant. Like there's lyrics about him coming into the sunlight and apparently there is a big hairy man that pulls him out of the pit. <laughs> and, um, but it is, it is a really nice, it's a lovely chant, I have to admit. Yeah. I actually have it if you'd like to hear it, Mayvan. Would you like to hear it? <laughs> A multimedia production, yes! So here's the haka, here's the K-Mate haka. about you but I get really pumped when I hear that I was gonna say that's really scary the first thing that came to mind was like oh intimidation but it's really emotional yeah it is and like I'm telling you any video I watched everyone no matter if they were at a wedding they were at like a, a community event they were on the pitch the rugby players everyone was performing this like these guys are not messing around they're like we're doing the full facial contortions we're putting our our entire bodies into this this haka is particularly a celebration of the triumph of life over death in 1888 the new zealand native football team began a tradition of performing the haka during an international tour So it was actually the football team that started the tradition. But the original All Blacks began introducing the performance in rugby games in 1905. And obviously that tradition has continued. Between 1998 and 2006, discussions occurred between the Niati Toa tribe and the New Zealand government on the use of the haka by commercial organisations without their permission. Because this tribe believed that they have maintained authorship because it was their tribal leader that you know uh, wrote it Mm. though these discussions resulted unsuccessful for the tribe the New Zealand government has promised to work with them to address their ongoing concerns about the use of the ancient tribal dance in contemporary avenues the haka is performed frequently now at sporting events birthdays funerals weddings and other celebratory events the Kappa Haka is offered as a subject in universities, as well as its practice in schools and military institutions. The All Blacks use of the Haka has become the most widely known. That's mm. generally, I suppose, in contemporary media. That's that's how we know of it. But they are also performed by the national rugby team, the Kiwis, is what they're called. And the men's basketball team, they're called the Tall Blacks. <laughs> the tall blacks and the all blacks. The tall yeah. blacks. <laughs> what? The I tall love blacks. That's so creative. I love it so much. In 2012, a Maori Kapahaka group performed a version of Gangnam style mixed with the Haka in Seoul. 
celebrating 50 years of diplomatic relations between South Korea and New Zealand. And impressively, in 2014, the New Zealand team performed the Hakka at the Roller Derby World Cup in Dallas in roller skates, and it has become a tradition since. I can't even chew gum in roller skates. I know I can't stand up in roller skates. <laughs> These the guys, I, I uh, yeah, yeah, and they were moving, they were doing their stomping and everything. That's I was amazing. like, where are we? Yeah, talent. But that is the hacker. I decided to research and tell you about the history of Rasputin. I knew you'd be Bring excited about this Bring one. Bring it on. I am so excited about this. You know I love a good Russian history story. I'm kind of jealous Russian. you got in there first. I, I am actually convinced he's on my list and I'm going to have to cross he him off. He probably but. is. But I was watching, do you know that movie Anastasia? The Princess yeah. Anastasia. Love that movie. I know it off my head. I wish I was joking. I know so much of it off my head. But yeah, he just popped into my mind there. Rasputin was born into a very poor peasant family in a small village called... I'm so sorry about the pronunciation. I've tried really hard. I've written it out phonetically. I can show you my notes if you want. Pokrovskoy. It was in... It's a small village in Siberia. And he was born in January of 1869. Oh, Siberia. That's cold. A cold place to grow up. With a lot of huskies there, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, That's all I, know. I think so. That's all I know about Siberia. Right. Are they keeping him warm? Is, is <laughs> oh, so he was born Gregory Rasputin. I'm just calling him Rasputin this entire time, just because that's his, his name first in the movie. Name is Gregory. Gregory <laughs> Rasputin. Isn't that funny? Oh, I no think... wonder you wanted to go by Rasputin. Rasputin <laughs> is so mysterious. In Russian, Gregory is a librarian you know, <laughs> that goes to bingo on Thursdays. You know, Rasputin is much more interesting. pronounced much more like Gregory, but I was reading it as Gregory. Oh, and yeah. That just tickles me a bit more than Gregory. Um, his father's name was Yefim. And it's recorded that he was a farmer and a church elder. So his family were pretty religious from the very beginning. His mother, Anna Parshakova, married him in the year 1863. They had eight children altogether, but seven of them died very, very young. Ooh. So one of the, the kind of ongoing things in Rasputin's life is that people thought that he was special in some kind of way. Right? They're kind of different at different points of his life. Um, people have pointed and been like, ah, oh, yeah, that's another reason why he was special or that's another reason why he was so interesting to people. This was one of them. There's also a considerable lack of information, like proper records of Rasputin's childhood and young adulthood. Some historians have said that it's like a black hole because there's nothing recorded. And because of this, there have been a lot of stories made up about this time in his life. It's really important to note that a lot of these stories came out as Rasputin was getting very, very famous because he was extremely famous in Russia. Historians, though, generally do agree that he was probably illiterate because of where he was born and his family's social standing. If not for his whole life, he would have been illiterate until he was approximately 28. I'll tell you why, 28 in a little while. There are local archival records that suggest that he was a little bit unruly, and that he probably would have gotten into small bits of trouble with the law, like for drinking or for petty theft. Later in his life, though, he was blamed for major crimes, 
like stealing horses and blasphemy. Stealing horses was a huge problem in this small village. Oh, do you know what they call, um, do you know what they call where I come from? You know our nickname? No. It's Sheep Stealers. Is that? Sheep Stealers. Yeah, because apparently we're, we were notorious Sheep Stealers back <laughs> in the day. Yeah. Sheep stealers. Sheep stealers, yep. That's a nickname. Have you, you're, what are you, have the tribesman? The fucking tribesman and we're the sheep stealer. <laughs> <laughs> For God's sake. That is so dumb. Sorry. Not your sheep. Not I don't your sheep. sheep. That's all I'll say to you. It is important though that Rasputin, there's no record of him stealing sheep or horses. None whatsoever. There are... Like local anecdotes, right? So these these are rumours basically that kind of started in his... Um, I much prefer local anecdotes though. <laughs> Lovely. Did you hear the local anecdote about Mrs. Did you Sarah hear the local anecdote? I love that. Oh. Um, people thought that he was gifted in some way or that he had psychic capabilities. So there's a lot of people had a lot of different ideas, right? So some people thought that he was psychic, some people thought that he was gifted and that God gave him his gifts but then later on in life people thought that maybe he made a deal with the devil and that's how he got his gifts. We'll get into that a little bit more. You'll, you'll kind of understand why people thought that. But there's this one particular story and all it is is just a story it's hearsay as Judge Judes would say. There's one particular story where these men in the village came to his father's house and they were talking about a horse theft. I'm not entirely sure if they were actually accusing Rasputin or his family of stealing the horse. But I do know that they came into the house, they were talking about it. And Rasputin would have been maybe like 13 or 14, I saw some records say. He pointed to one of the guys and was like, it was you, you did it. And then apparently Rasputin was right. The rest of the guys followed the man that was pointed to back to his house and they caught him trying to move the horse. So that was one at one point. There was also a story where him and his cousin went, they went swimming and then they both got pneumonia. Swimming in Siberia though, like you would get, you would get pneumonia. Pneumonia. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what were they asking for? Realistically. Yeah. Um, yeah, they both went swimming. They both caught pneumonia. And apparently at this point, pneumonia was a death sentence for, especially for kids. Again, they would have been like maybe 12 years old, I guess. Um, but Rasputin survived it when his cousin didn't. So people thought that that was amazing. You know, realistically at that point, pneumonia, you weren't gonna, it was, it was a death yeah. sentence, especially for kids. He also as well just knew things about his neighbours. Really personal things that he would have no way of knowing. So people were really kind of, I mean, freaked out about him, probably. (laughs) We have a peeping Tom on our hands. (laughs) Peeping Gregory. That's what I would think. I wouldn't, I would go for that. Probably, I wouldn't go straight for he sold his soul to the devil (laughs) so that he knows how many sugars I take in my coffee. Like, I'd probably say, (laughs) were you in my house? You weirdo. Our records start back then in 1886 when Rasputin travelled to a place called Abalak in Russia where he met and married Praskovia Dubrovina in 1887. As far as I can tell, they moved back to Pokrovskoy. So they moved back to his home village um, and they, he used that as his home base. So he went back and forth from there. Then in 1897... 
So this is 10 years later. He would have been 28. He decided to go on a pilgrimage. Um, now, like when I was reading this, a lot of historians were saying that this was really strange that he just all of a sudden decided to go on a pilgrimage. He had been on pilgrimages before. He seemed to be really into Christianity. Like it didn't seem weird to me. There's a theory that he went because he was trying to evade the authorities because he was involved in, again, a horse theft. Um, <laughs> his own daughter in her, I think it was her autobiography or her biography of her father. She said that her father had a vision of Mary and Mary told him to go on this pilgrimage. One particular historian that I read a good bit of, his name is Douglas Smith. He reckons that Rasputin was probably in the midst of like an emotional, spiritual crisis, kind of like a midlife crisis. You've been at 28. Oh, okay. He'd been married for about a decade. He had a child and his wife was pregnant. So it just seemed like a weird time to leave, basically. Mm. Um, so he travelled to the St. Nicholas Monastery at Burkaturi and he it's reported that he probably learned to read and write here. Okay. Um, now he returned to his home village and it said that he looked dishevelled and he was just behaving differently so historians have kind of divided his life into before his this particular pilgrimage in 97 and then after Ooh. at this point he stopped eating animal products consuming alcohol and smoking anything and he started practicing religion way more fervently and what I mean by that is he would have been much more open about his religion. You know how some people will practice privately? He was like mm. praying out loud. He was singing. He was just being very, very zealous. He became a Stranic, which is a holy pilgrim, and he would leave his home village for months or even years at a time sometimes to visit holy sites. By the early 1900s, he had a small circle of followers who met with him on Sundays and holy days when he came back home to pray together. So they were like prayer meetings. I read one account that said that they met in a basement under Rasputin's father's, I think, barn. So under the house. They, apparently in this particular village, men would still live in their father's homes, even okay. with their own families. So like it wasn't oh. just like he, his dad had a spare room, if that makes sense. It was his home. <laughs> He's in, in his basement writing Vice articles, like yeah. throwing people <laughs> on the internet. You guys don't believe in what I believe <laughs> Just when I when I read that first, I was like, why would he pick his dad's house? Like, I'd never be like, Mom, can I use your basement for a prayer meeting? I'd probably have it in my own house. Um, but no, it was his house too. I just want to clarify. I don't want people to think that Rasputin still lives with his dad at 28. I don't know why yeah, God, I care Rasputin. about that so much. Um, <laughs> I saw other accounts, though, say that it was more like a cave that he himself dug to host these prayer meetings. Ooh. Much more oh, sinister. Yeah, I heard about right? this. I heard about this. Much more sinister. So the village priest and the elders of the of the village they weren't mad about Rasputin at all. They did not like him because of what we know now. At that point, they were just rumors, right? There were stories that his female followers would wash him before every meeting, and that Rasputin had joined this. It was a cult. It was like a religious sect. They were called the Clisty. Um, the Clisty were a cult that had rituals that included group sex and they would whip themselves. Um, this is called self-flagellation. I googled that on my work computer. Oh. <laughs> really glad. 
know they're not you like, do not oh. want to give that laptop back man <laughs> you do not want to give that you cleared those cakes and cookies you get, you get a data expert to extract that shit from the motherboard and there is there is no coming back from that like you can try oh my god actually I also have a funny story once okay so I had the two laptops open once and my work laptop in this one and I typed Nazi propaganda because it was I was researching it and I, I was typing into Google I typed it accidentally into the wrong laptop like I literally had them right beside and I was looking at a different screen I was looking at a monitor I almost just sent that into a group work <gasps> <laughs> <It's just Nazi. laughs> they were just talking business and I sent in just Nazi propaganda <laughs> I literally I had a moment of like fright that I already did it and like my heart went under my skin but I didn't thank oh my god. god I was so close I actually I think I hit enter and it didn't work or something and then imagine oh. coming back from that and literally there imagine no. being like sorry there, I'd, I'd, be just fired. Like I'd be fired I'd be fired that is so funny oh my oh. god something that was really interesting the Clisty would meet in underground basement type venues Specifically underground, don't know why. Interesting that Rasputin dug his little cave, apparently, some people say, and they also didn't eat meat, smoke, or drink. So we put two and two together, but they had orgies. Yeah, right? (laughs) I wrote here because you were straight edge. You know straight edge? No. No. Straight Straight edge. edge. Oh, so it's like, I think it's part of the punk movement. Straight edge people... They wouldn't drink alcohol or caffeine, most people. They wouldn't smoke anything. They were straight oh, edge. I don't think I can hang out with those people. In 1904-1905, he travelled to the city of Kazan and he gained a reputation as a starret. A starret was a like an elder that people would go to for spiritual problems and, and they'd get advice from a starret. Um, he was really well liked. He received a letter of recommendation to go to the St. Petersburg Theological Seminary from church officials in the area. Now, there's this story from around that time where there were rumours about him engaging in sex with women that were following him, which he was forcing upon them, is as far as the rumours go. Uh, in this story, an elder confronted him about it. Rasputin turned around and said, no, that didn't happen. And by the way... One of your monks is going to attack you in a few days. And he was right. The monk tried to attack him with a knife. He tried to stab him. So, oh my God. Yeah. So the elder was like, well, if he was right about that, then obviously he must have this gift from God. Obviously he must be okay. So he probably didn't attack those He women. probably didn't assault women. <laughs> yeah. Which, I mean, who knows? He was insane. <laughs> <laughs> When he was in St. Petersburg, he lived with this particular church leader. His name was Theophan. And Theophan would bring him to the salons where he gained a lot of influential followers. So people wonder how he got so popular and how he got so... With the salons? Did you say, sorry, the salons? Mm-hmm. He'd bring him to the salon? Yeah. No, I mean, <laughs> the salons were like cafes, maybe? Salons, they'd be nice okay. rooms where people, like people of influence, like government officials, aristocrats, that kind of thing would hang out together. Oh, how do I not know this thing? Salons. I was like, wow, he can get his nails done. 
<laughs> just have a chat about the orgy I had last night, I tell you. <laughs> you shouldn't smoke, Margaret. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please continue. Rasputin would have been smelly, weird looking. He was a peasant. Why did he have so many friends, you ask? At this particular time in Russian history, there was right about to be a revolution, right? Oh, yeah. So people in this particular class were a little bit uneasy. I think they felt that there was some kind of change coming and they started becoming increasingly interested in the occult and spirituality. And Rasputin was both of those things. He also claimed to be Christian. And I think that maybe made it a little bit more easier for them mm. to... He was a bit more palatable, right? He wasn't coming yeah, in there as like... Acceptable. Yeah, he, he, he wasn't coming in there as something completely different. In November 1905, in St. Petersburg, he met the Tsar at the time, Nicholas Romanov, who was the last Tsar of Russia, and his wife, Alexandra. At this point, he was really well known as a mystic, but also as a healer. He would do house calls for people. Um, like really influential people. He literally was an influencer. Like that's all yeah. he did was influence people. He also had a reputation as a bit of a womanizer. So him and the Romanovs were friendly for a while. They wrote letters back and forth for a, a few years, maybe about two years. And then there was a situation with their youngest child, Alexei. The Romanovs, the youngest child, Alexei. Alexei had haemophilia. That is where your blood can't clot. I don't know mm. specifically why, but basically um, it's just very dangerous for someone with haemophilia to have any kind of cut at all just because it, it'll keep going. Like the blood will just keep coming. He was also their only boy, wasn't he? He was their only yes, boy. He and was. They, they absolutely adored him because they tried four times previously. And well, they tried more actually, but they had miscarriages to my knowledge. And they had four hey. girls. This was the only boy. Alexei had this particular accident where he... I think it was his knee, somewhere on his knee. Basically, he he cut himself and he was pretty much bleeding to death. Um, as a last resort, they decided to call in Rasputin. And Rasputin healed Alexei just by praying for him. So it's recorded in letters, specifically from Nicholas's sister, that Rasputin healed Alexei just by praying for him. There are some theories that he probably used medicine or that he used some kind of hypnotism. So Rasputin was trusted completely by the Romanov family after this. And it, it very quickly was a bad decision to trust Rasputin. Again, it's written in a letter from Nicholas's sister, Xenia, that he would visit the Romanov children a lot, specifically the kids, and that he would sit with them when they went to bed and that he would quote unquote, caress them. It's not really known exactly what Xenia meant by that word, how nefarious it was. And this came out as gossip. And people around St. Petersburg and all through Russia, to be very honest, it became a national story. They were extremely upset with Rasputin and they were extremely upset that the Romanovs were so close with Rasputin. The Romanovs, for whatever reason, maybe hypnotism, actually, now that I'm saying it, they still really liked him and they were still really loyal to him. Oh, interesting about the hypnotism. I th I think it could have just been that they saved their, their only son. He saved their only son. They uh, owe him their lives in their eyes. 
I guess. The next king. He was going to be the next king. Of, yeah. Uh, without that, they would have lost the, the throne. That is a lot for a, That's a, a good point. monarch. That's a lot. Like a son for a monarch at this time was actually pivotal if you wanted to keep your family on the throne. Mm. I think it was probably a bit of both, though. I think it was probably... He probably used that as man, as emotional manipulation. Maybe if they mm. didn't even realise that's what it was. Um, but in 1911, the Prime Minister at the time, Peter Stolopan, he told Nicholas that he needed to do something about Rasputin because of the controversy. I remember as well, people were planning for a revolution at that point anyways, and this Rasputin thing wasn't helping. Because of what Stolopan asked of Nicholas, Nicholas sent Rasputin out in a pilgrimage until Stolopan passed away, he was assassinated. Um, I think like within within the year, and then Rasputin came back as if nothing happened. In 1912 and 1915, there are another couple of times where Rasputin healed Alexei from bleeding to death. But again, there are so many theories that are a little bit more likely as to what actually happened. He had a horrible reputation at this point. However, he has been accused of having an affair with Alexandria. He's been accused of having orgies, sleeping with women all over the place, um, sleeping with sex workers, um, which would have been absolutely horrible. At this point, everything was just so scandalous to the point where it was said to have caused mass hysteria in the country, which is not just like people were, <laughs> like his approval ratings were down. It was people were livid with him. I think he, they just knew he had such a power over the Romanovs. And as well, at this point, Alexandria was making some decisions that weren't too popular. They really just knew that it was probably Rasputin pulling the strings. This is because Nicholas went to fight in World War One. In 1914, actually, a peasant woman named Chionya Guseva attempted to assassinate Rasputin. She stabbed him in the stomach outside of his home, in his home village. Um, but he was treated in a hospital and he survived. Prince Felix Yusupov, so he was married to Alexandra's niece either at the time or shortly thereafter. Him and a group of accomplices decided that enough was enough and Rasputin was a threat to the entire empire. So on the 30th of December 1916, Felix led Rasputin to the basement in his house. He gave him food and drink that was completely laced with cyanide. Apparently, the cyanide didn't work. Straight up. Just did not work. Oh my god. Rasputin sat there, he was talking, he was blah blah blah. And there's this really creepy story where apparently Rasputin just looks at this Prince Felix after a while of just nothing happening. And he just goes, you're wasting your time. You can't do anything to me. Oh my god. And Felix goes, okay, I just have to go upstairs for something. He went upstairs. His accomplices were like waiting in the sitting room. Like, is he, is he dead? Felix goes, no, do you, can I get a gun? Can I just, does anybody have one on them? He gets a gun, goes down and just shoots Rasputin in the chest. So you'd think it was over. No. No, it's not. Oh my God, now, what the hell? <laughs> of course as well, this is hearsay, but it is just a really interesting story. One of the accomplices was a doctor and he went down to see if Rasputin was dead, declared him dead. They all go back upstairs. They're talking about what to do. They decide to go downstairs. They have to do something with the body. Rasputin was in the same position, like on the floor, still obviously dead. And Felix got really angry and decided to shake him, shake him by the shoulders. Rasputin apparently opens his eyes, stands up and attacks him. 
Oh. He runs outside trying to get away. One of the guys that Felix was with shoots him down from behind. And did it work? So, apparently, again, hearsay, as George Judy would say, they decided to tie his hands and legs because they just couldn't trust him. <laughs> they couldn't yeah, trust that he was dead. Like, lace in his food with cyanide and nothing happened. They must nothing. have got a bottle mixed up or something there. Maybe it's just salt. It was just extra salty. And he's like, damn it, I forgot the cyanide. I left it right beside the salt. Picked it up by accident. So they like had to bind his hands and legs and they threw him in a river. And apparently when he was found, the tie was removed from his hands. Also, apparently there was like water in his lungs. So they reckon that he might have come back to lie from the river. I will accept and believe the first one. I'll accept and believe that he came back from the dead once, not twice, not in a river. But surely that's what happens though. When you drown, your lungs fill with water. But for him to, for his lungs to have oh. been filled with water, he would have had to have been alive when he was thrown in the river. But apparently, if we're to believe them, he was dead for he, the second he might time. Have been, he might have been still alive though, because like if they didn't shoot him in a fatal position, they could have shot him somewhere where, you know, he could still live. For moments, and then they threw him in the river, and then filled his instantly. Think about it, though. He was pronounced dead by a medical professional twice, but then he got up and he uh, was like, "No, I'm." (laughs) He tried to run away. I don't know that I believe it. I mean, it doesn't matter. He's Rasputin. Oh, you think someone someone could have like made this up when they were recording it? So, actually, I was listening to a podcast about this the last day, and. the podcaster made a really good point and she said that Rasputin was so hated at this time that Felix was such a like a hero at this point he was probably over exaggerating because he was really proud of himself you know he was mm. probably like oh you you guys have no idea how hard that was for me you know oh, like he was yeah, probably just so. adding like I, I don't know yeah. also she mentioned a very good point the like autopsy where it was shown that he had water in his lungs that record has just been completely lost so we don't even have that to point to as being like oh you know but that's hearsay as well as it's hearsay (laughs) that was a really interesting episode you have to check out all our socials now. Go and follow and like and all that crack uh, on Behind the Future Pod on Instagram and Future underscore Behind on Twitter. Mivan, will we reveal the Leaving Cert subjects we'll be discussing in our three-part Leaving Cert series? For the first episode, we're going to look at Ireland. We're going to look at the Easter Rising in 1916 and we're going to look at the War of Independence. For the second episode of the series, we're going to look at the space race and the Cold War. And then for our third episode, we will look at Mussolini and his policies and Italy, the relationship between church and state. Of course, we're not going to cover the entirety of the Leaving Cert, but we got some suggestions and some predictions from some of our um, lovely helpful history teacher friends and we just wanted to give you guys uh, a good idea of how interesting the Leaving Cert course is. Yeah, exactly. Do I sound like a dork? 
And no, I agree with you. That's why in our <laughs> intro we say if you liked history class in school, this is probably the podcast for you because um, we're going to go back to. Even though I didn't do history for the Leaving Cert, a lot of people I be listening did. to this be like, Sarah, you weren't in that class. I wasn't because I was told biology would be more important to me. And now I don't use biology in any facet of my, <gasps> uh, my life. And I have a history podcast and I did history in college and studied it for four years. So yes, that was wrong. And that was wrong advice. <laughs> Sorry, I have burdens of burdens um, <laughs> that I hold on to. But anywho, um, I didn't. But this three part series is like any ordinary episodes. They might be a little bit yeah. longer in length because we have a lot to cover. But we're still going to just bring you history as a story. You know, they're, they're really interesting topics. So whether you're a Leaving Cert student or not, these can you can still tune in you're not going to be excluded it's going to be kind of the same gist as every week if you're yeah. enjoying every every other episode this will this won't be different but if you know a history student that is sitting the leaving cert or a final exam that may include some of these topics uh coming up this summer then please let them know because honestly entertainment and storytelling are one yeah. of the most like they may get one line out of this that they'll write in their leave insert, but that one line could be another like three points, which could set it's them true. up another grade. Do you know what I mean? So we want to help and we want to tell these stories. So please let any leave insert um, or or fifth year or anyone who wants to do history for the leave insert, maybe in a couple of years, um, they could have similar topics then. Um, let them know about this episode and that will be out after our midterm break next week we're going to take a midterm break and after that we're going to dive right into the series so be sure to keep an eye out we'll come back to you with weekly content after our week break and we're starting it off we're kicking it off with our leave insert series so really looking forward to it that's it that's the history that's the podcast and remember don't forget. I know. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>